one of the things that is um, exciting the community, especially people outside of robotics that are entering the community, is the fact that um, the there is a low barrier of entry access at the beginning, especially you know um, for I'm thinking for example of you know soft pneumatic actuators at sort of like a centimeter scale. They've been around for almost I guess more than a decade actually, and people can build them really easily. I have had students that you know um, built them at home out of uh, out of you know a 3D printed mold that they were able to manufacture or even just like out of scrap materials that they had available in their homes and they were you know super excited and so that's great I think about our our community but um, from a fabrication point of view I think there is still there are still many challenges that we are facing when we scale down these mechanisms and exactly you know again for for minimal invasive surgical applications for example so I think integrating, you know, again, those sensors, those actuators, and, and, and maybe that distributed level of control that we would want in those soft micro-robots is going to take, um, obviously, some more research. And, and that's where, you know, the, challenge are, are, the challenges are going to be, but also the excitement, I think. In this podcast, I'm sharing my passion and curiosity for soft robotics, where we share inspiring stories about the work we do and how we can push the limit. I am Mara Dweeney, and this is Soft Robotics Podcast. Support for this show comes from Science Robotics Journal. I really find science robotics to be a great resource for reliable and tangible research where we can really push the limit of the science we do in robotics. Great way to stay up to date with the published article is checking out the released monthly issue. All the links will be included in each episode description. We will also happen to have a regular conversation on the most published science robotic articles where also you can contribute with your question and thoughts about the research. Thanks, Science Robotics, for sponsoring Soft Robotics Podcast. So maybe I'm first ask you, uh, I think your mission about how you can design soft robotics for surgical application. And I'm just ask you if you have like a, a grand picture, what is maybe challenging for designing soft robotics in the sense of surgical application? Yeah, definitely. Uh, well, the challenges of you know designing a soft robot for surgical applications, I would say, especially if you're new to the field, uh, the very first things that you will encounter, for example, like say you're a new PhD student in the lab, is the fact that um, if your background is in engineering and robotics, you'll have to sort of like train yourself to communicate with surgeons, right? Um, typically, uh, surgeons and engineers tend to speak two different languages. And so I think the very first things, the very first challenges are to um, understand what the clinical requirements are and making sure that uh, the robot that you're building is going to be meeting them. Um, I think as engineers, we are really good at understanding, you know, the problem that we are facing and engineering, obviously, a solution to it. But typically, you know, uh, 
clinical surgical applications have very strict type of specifications when it comes to, for example, having a robot that can interact with the uh, bio with biological tissues or um, um, inside the body you have delicate organs, like think, for example, about the brain or think about, for example, lungs, which are certain um, districts or areas that we are, for example, working on, you have to be, to be very careful uh, how you build your robot, what materials you're going to be using. They should be, you know, biocompatible. You should make sure that even if parts of the robot is going to fail, like say, for example, an actuator is going to fail, um, is not going to harm the human body. And so, for example, using soft fluidic actuation makes a lot of sense because especially if you're inside the body and you have a leak of uh, saline solution or water, it's still going to be safe. Um, but all of these aspects are really, you know, the very first things that I think you have to think about when you are approaching soft surgical robotics. Mm -hmm. Great. Since you're already focusing maybe in the mechanical part on the design, and I think, I don't know, how do you see the after consideration from the surgical part, but this kind of biocompatibility with the forces required, all this kind of the features you want in the design, how do you approach the design process at the first step here? Yeah, so I would say, you know, a soft robot is made out of different components. There is the actuation, the sensing. Um, we are definitely mostly focusing in the lab on the hardware side, so more mechanical uh, mechanisms uh, and and um, and these types of hardware components. And so um, the way that you approach the design of all of these uh, parts is by selecting barrel, uh, at the very first step, you know, the materials that you're going to be using, obviously. And obviously the very first prototypes that, that you're going to be building don't necessarily have to um, satisfy all requirements like for example you know biocompatibility is not probably the very first thing that you're going to be thinking of for the very first proof of concepts that you're going to be building but you have to have in the back of your mind um, some level of, of knowledge that that's what you're shooting for and so um, there is that there is the selection of the materials there is the selection of different structures that you're going to be uh, um, designing and then there is also you know a constant back and forth uh, discussions with our clinical collaborators. In the lab we have, uh, I would say, several um, surgeons that are working with us. They're really interested and excited about the technology that we're developing. Um, and my students typically get to experience, you know, they shadow these surgeons in the operative room. Um, they try and understand what are the current challenges that Surge that they that they face on a daily basis before they can engineer a, a solution that they can design a solution, and then there is a lot of iterative process, you know, going back and forth, what works, what not, um, to to build and engineer a solution. Mm -hmm. And if you can dive deep in the material part, because I think you're also focusing how can we use the soft materials with hard parts. If you get to us. Because I think it's very interesting what kind of functionality you're looking for when you integrate cl different class of material in one structure. What is the purpose? What a function you look for when you try to combine different class of material? Yeah, Here. that's a really good question. Well, to me, you know, soft robotics is, um, I would say the definition of soft robotics is expanding, right? Because a soft robot is 
it's literally what the word says. It's um, a robot made out of soft materials. But in my lab, we are also using other types of materials, like you're saying. And the reason why we're doing this is sort of like combining, so creating soft hybrids. Um, so robots, robots made out of soft materials and rigid materials. Because we were, we are, we we are looking at sort of like combining the best of both worlds, especially for the types of applications that we have in mind. So if you go again in surgical clinical applications that are, um, especially minimal invasive surgery, so using robots to access hard to reach locations in the human body by accessing through a very small opening, for example, without performing large cuts in the patient's body, you have to have, you have to build something that is really miniaturized to do that. So a very small robot that can access, for example, um, the mouth and navigate inside our lungs or in our stomach. And so it has to have a very small uh, footprint. And so when you scale down soft robots, they don't necessarily perform as well with the type of applications that we have in mind. So for example, that means that they will not be able to exert very large forces and for example, grasp tissue, biological tissue to then, for example, perform cutting and or surgery, a surgical procedure. And so what you have to do is sort of like, um, take a step back and say, oh, well, if I, scale down these soft robots and they are not going to be able maybe to um, uh, um, reach the performance in terms of force output or power density that I need, then maybe I have to think about engineering a different solution and, and combining soft materials with hard materials is you know very easy, obviously. Um, in my lab, we are looking at especially combining soft actuation, soft sensing together with rigid origami inspired mechanisms and so this is mostly to create um, the result of this is uh, creating you know soft foldable robots so robots that can be uh, folded in really tiny compact configurations and so for example be mounted around an endoscope or a catheter or, um, in traditional um, medical instrumentation for example and can be very uh, small in that configuration and for example, navigate to the surgical target area that you wanna reach, like say for example, the lungs. Um, and then once you reach that target area, they can be unfolded and deployed by using these rigid origami um, components and, and having flexible joints and, uh, and stretchable joints, for example, um, using that soft part is really useful. Especially soft materials are useful when you want to ensure that the interaction between the robot and the environment, for example, the, the body is, is safe. And so you're not going to scratch, you're not going to harm um, the surrounding uh, biological tissues. Mm -hmm. Do you have any moments with maybe challenging a design, given what situation you mentioned? was kind of a challenge how we design something safe and exert enough forces and be also navigate through this kind of tiny places like mouse, whatever, stomach. Do you have any moments like it was challenging in design? Um, I wouldn't say that we had had challenges. Uh, I think, you know, all, all, of, all of this is part of obviously years of training and, and experience. And so like in everything, I guess, in life, uh, at the beginning, it's, it's more difficult and then it gets easier as you 
uh, as you gather experience, as you gather uh, knowledge and you become more familiar with the field. So probably, yeah, maybe, you know, if you were to ask, if you asked me this question maybe 10 years ago, the, 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 the answer would have been, you know, different. Uh, but I think it's mostly um, the experience that you develop and uh, obviously working in a, in a large community, there is a lot of potential inputs and inspiration that you can get. Um, so I wouldn't say like there is really a challenge behind that. When I... To answer your question, maybe I have to think about, you know, younger students in my lab and, and the challenges that they are facing when they are approaching this um, research for the, very, for the very first time. But I think part of the training that, um, that I uh, ask them to go through is really get exposed to all of these different uh, experiences in terms of shadowing surgeons in the operative room and, um, and talking to people uh, in the robotics community, in the soft robotics community and um, outside the community. And uh, obviously, you know, reading papers, um, gathering that knowledge as much as possible. But I have to say, really, I don't I don't see these as challenges because and maybe I am biased, but uh, I think the field that we are working on is very exciting. And I tend to get that level of excitement and enthusiasms and enthusiasm from students that are joining my lab and, and the community in general as well. And I think they are not they are they are not really worried about this as a challenge. Like, how do I learn how to um design a robot, fabricate a robot for surgical applications. They, it doesn't seem, it doesn't sound daunting, daunting for them. I think they're really excited about the fact that, you know, the research that they are doing today uh, is going to have an impact in the future. It's something that um, I have always found really motivating for me as well, like waking up in the morning, stepping into the lab, uh, working on these really cool, uh, soft surgical robots and having in mind that you are, for example, targeting um, um, some of the projects that we have, for example, currently in the lab, have to deal with developing soft surgical robots for interventional bronchoscopy. And for example, lung surgery um, is really important because lung cancer is one of the deadliest cancers these days. And the fact that you are working on a project that can potentially one day have a positive impact on such a, you know, an important disease is really motivating. And so I don't think, you know, that you, you really focus too much on these challenges as much as you focus on the fact that what you are doing can have such a great impact in the future, like say 10 years from today. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe, maybe a question about the interesting parts or maybe the still, still need more research or still maybe not solve it fully. You also focus on topology and geometry. I don't know how you see the design of the shape of the robot or the complex topology. If you are not just having at the beginning, you sense that biocompatibility maybe is not the first priority, but if you speak about the shape of the robot or the topology, you are interested yeah. in that? Do you think there's something here? Yeah, of course. Um, so 
Part of um, the design process that uh, we are working on as, um, you know, for, for developing these soft foldable robots that I mentioned, uh, part of the design process is really imagining, you know, a, a resulting 3D structure that you're going to be building out of 2D layers. Let me uh, clarify this. So in, in the lab, we are working on manufacturing technologies that, as I, as I mentioned, combine soft materials and hard materials. And the way that we are combining the two is by basically creating soft layers, soft films, if you will, out of um, soft biocompatible elastomers, out of soft lithography. And so these are literally just 2D layers of, for example, actuators or sensors that we uh, fabricate and then we laser cut and we assemble with other rigid layers, rigid films um, of materials that have been laser cut. And then we use chemical surface modifications to, to bond all of them together so that we make sure that the interface between these soft components and hard components is um, sort of like seamless, if you will. Um, by designing each layer separately into D and then assembling them and stacking them literally as sort of like a sandwich, uh, then you go back with um, other types of machining, such as, for example, again, laser uh, machining to sort of detach your robot from that scaffold and at that point you're able to pop up the robot and make it uh, move and, and fall into the uh, desired 3D shape. And so yes, topology, geometry, they play an important role into the design. The challenging part is probably at the beginning, going back to your previous question, trying to train yourself on um, how you're going to be imagining the final topology, the final geometry that you want to achieve in three dimensions by designing these 2D layers of different components. And so it's sort of like a different type of um, reasoning, if you will. So when you were, for example, building a hard robot uh, directly in three dimensions using, you know, your CAD uh, modeling software, you were able to assemble actuators and components directly, like say, for example, you had a specific DC motor in mind that you were going to be building, you would put it in there and you would know immediately in 3D how the structure is going to look like. In our case, we're mostly designing these components in terms of like layers. And so you will know what type of layer of sensors is going to be embedded, embedded in a specific configuration, in a specific location of your of the body of your robot. And then you have to imagine how that is uh, um, I guess, going to, to shape in 3D, um, how we are going to be distributing uh, these soft sensors and actuators, for example, inside the body of the robot. The advantage of having um, this type of approach is mostly, um, I would say, um, the possibility of embedding distributed actuation and sensing more easily, the fact that you can um, play with a, a variety of different materials, whether they are hard, whether they are soft, biocompatible components, structural components, flexible, stretchable components. Um, and you can uh, basically embed whatever type of material you want into the robot based on the structural and the function, the structural functionality and, um, and overall the shape that you want to achieve. Great. And for the sensing part, do you also think, I think I don't know if you agree that we have to reduce the sensing 
capabilities in the robot and just depend on physical intelligence. Um, how do you see the approach of embedding the same thing in surgical robotic when it comes to robotics? What's yes. the strategy for that? Yeah. It's, that's actually a really important point. Um, so I would say for a number of years, you know, at this point we've had for more than two decades, we've had surgical robots available in the operative rooms and um, we've seen a lot of um, robots really being created uh, for surgical applications. Some of them are commercial plat platforms, some of them are more sort of like research platforms. So, you know, the community is not new to, to this specific applications of robotics, but um, saw but sensing in itself for sur for surgical robotics is something that for some reason has been more challenging to integrate and uh, i believe that reason is mostly uh the fact that surgical robots are very small as i mentioned and so integrating in something that is so small that has to be miniaturized all those different components that you need including, for example, sensing, is challenging, right? And um, if you think about, you know, traditional methodologies of sensing um, that would probably require, you know, a lot of wires and cables coming out of your robot. And typically, when you, when you are dealing with, I don't know, sort of like more industrial types of applications, you're not really worried about, you know, cables coming out and potential shorts, uh, electrical shorts. Um, but when you are inside the body, obviously you have to, uh, to, to take care of that somehow. And so sensing to me has been more of a challenge. And because of the fact that this has um, been so difficult to implement, some um, of the sur surgical robots that are out there, they don't necessarily provide haptic feedback to the surgeon. And so surgeons still have to rely on visual cues when they are performing, for example, robotic surgery. Um, visual cues means, for example, that as you are manipulating a biological, uh, biological tissue, you have to um, approximate the amount of you know stretching that you are um, applying onto the tissue to the force that you are applying onto that specific piece of tissue. And that is not necessarily good because you could, for example, apply too much force and, and potentially tear tissue, cause bleeding, um, hemorrhage, for example. So sensing is becoming more and more of um, an important aspect and integrating um, sensors inside these robots, these surgical robots obviously is going to make them smarter and, and more reliable. And the outcome obviously is going to have better um, surgical outcomes, better patient outcomes and, and safety as well. So in my lab, we're working a lot on sensing aspects, including, for example, uh, soft optical sensing. We recently published a paper on a soft robotic sleeve that can be mounted around, for example, endoscopes, specifically colonoscopes for uh, improving interventional colonoscopy, so interventional robotic colonoscopy. Um, one of the problems, for example, that colonoscopies have is that as you are navigating inside the colon with an endoscope, typically clinicians tend to, they have to push the colonoscope obviously to, to reach um, uh, inside the body, inside the colon, and by pushing they can exert too much force. And 
potentially that force can cause bleeding and perforations on, in the colon. But they don't really know because they only have visual feedback from um, the camera that is positioned at the tip of the tool. They don't really have information about the force that the, all, um, the overall endoscope is applying onto the column. And so having, you know, sensor feedback, haptic feedback becomes paramount to ensure that these procedures are going to be safe and, and less and less invasive in the future, such that the vast majority of people would want to have um, a colonoscopy, for example, or they would want to have a safe access to these surgical procedures. Mm -hmm. Great. But I'm just ask you again about, because you, you mentioned that will be impactful maybe from in five or 10 years, but the scenario fa failure, for example, for sensor itself, if the sensor failed to sense something, also mechanism of actuation fail, how do you see the redundancy here? Because if the sensor failed, how would we do know what, we, what, what alternative? Um, how do you think about the redundancy in such critical application like that? Absolutely, very important. Um, one sensor, yes, obviously could fail and could not necessarily return the information, the important information that you're looking for. So redundancy of sensor is very important. And the thing that I mentioned before, distributed sensing and actuation in our soft surgical robots is something that we are looking for on a daily basis in the lab, just to ensure the fact that one sensor or one actuator, if they fail, you're going to have some level of um, of safety, you know, to continue that specific surgical procedure that you're performing with a robot. That is, uh, I would say, not new, is something that um, has been um, used in, in the surgical robotics community for a long period of time. So having that level of redundancy um, of sensors, having that level of uh, redund that redundancy in actuators, as well as um, having a lot of, I would say, codes of, lines of codes implemented in the robot. Uh, so like, for example, if you're thinking about the Da Vinci uh, robot from Intuitive Surgical, it had a massive amount of lines of codes for safety, for extra safety. With soft surgical robots, the interesting thing is that, um, well, the community is really making the case that maybe because our robot is soft, maybe because it's safer with respect to more sort of like traditional rigid robots, we will reach uh, a point in time where we don't really need to worry too much about, you know, the control um, side of things. It's still going to be obviously there, but we are going to be able to exploit the softness of the materials that we are using to have that extra level of safety. Mm -hmm. And I'm curious to ask you, do you have any questions you still ask yourself or maybe in the community and soft robotics maybe still not really answered or maybe ask about the community? Do you have any question you'd like to share? Maybe in your group also, yeah. Yeah, I think I think there are still, you know, obviously soft robotics, soft surgical robotics are really um, growing, exciting fields, vibrant fields to be in. And so there, are, I believe there are still a lot of open questions um, that we still have no answer for, uh, right? And so I think maybe if I can think of one off the top of my head right now is the fact that, you know, we're building these soft robots out of soft materials and soft extrusion sensing components, but there are still a lot of these components that are part of the puzzle of building a soft robot that are 
under research and development and they are not quite ready maybe yet. So, you know, the powering aspects, the battery aspects, how are you going to be safely powering a soft robot, for example, for surgical applications? It's still something that is a lot under development. Now, for a long period of time, um, we, we haven't necessarily um, worried too much about this because many of the soft of the surgical robots that are out there are feathered by definition uh, and so you can use that feather to provide for example power to the robot but that's probably not necessarily going to be true for the next maybe 10 or 15 years and so those challenges are something that the community is going to be probably looking at sometime soon. Mm-hmm. And I'm curious also about your thoughts in the material board. Do you think you would be in favor of using material that work as both activator and sensor that we can avoid embedding sensing and maybe cause us trade off in the design? I don't know if how you encounter this kind of decision to select the material and how to embed the sensor. Do you think your favor for using material can be work like any conductive polymer, just for example? For you, what do you think about that? That makes absolute sense, yes. So using, you know, what what you would call a smart material, right? What you would call um, a material that can be responsive to a stimulus and, um, for example, provide actuation or or provide uh, information sensing. That makes perfect sense. in the lab, we haven't explored uh, specifically ionic polymers or, or other types of materials like these just because in the back of our mind, we always have that level of um, question of, you know, is this safe? Is this going to be safe to use inside the body? What are the currents that we need to apply? What What's the temperature that the material is going to develop and inside the body and so on? So I think, you know, it is important as um, as a soft roboticist to collaborate with people uh, from, for example, the material science community, people that are developing these new materials, um, and communicate with them what are the specifications, you know, maybe that we would look for if we had the possibility of creating uh, an ideal material. And obviously, you know, maybe the specifications that I would have are different from another soft roboticist working in the community if they are looking for a different type of application, obviously. But I think at the end of the day, um, what makes the soft robotics community really exciting is the fact that, you know, we have all of these um, diverse group of people that are working in it. So, you know, traditional roboticists, uh, material scientists, uh, and so on, that can collaborate together to create something, you know, that we cannot maybe imagine today, but uh, will be possible in the future. And creating that level of discussion and uh, and diversity in the field, I think it's it's really one of the keys of, of, of the success of the field. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I don't know if you have any highlights in this journey about something was maybe surprising or exciting, like, for example, if you do something and it was counterintuitive in their behavior, or you didn't expect to start to behave like that. Do you have this moment of excitement or this was surprising? Do you have this moment? Oh, wow. Well, yeah, I, I cannot think of a specific one. I think more that this is uh, 
type of feeling that happens on a daily basis, I would say. It's more like, um, you know, as someone who is, uh, again, um, really more sort of like a hardware person and working on um, hands-on things uh, in the lab, I think when you build something and you test it and, and you... Um, you you examine the behavior of the robot. You 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 analyze the data that you are gathering from your tests. You always have that level of excitement and discovery, right? Sometimes you also have a level of probably frustration because not all tests uh, are probably going to be you know. Um, not, no, not, not everything is going to behave ex exactly as you were expecting, but it's, it's sort of like, I guess, a balance between the two on a daily basis that you have. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I don't know if we have any kind of thoughts about the grand challenge in the field about fabrication. Since you're already concerned about fabrication, and now we speak about how we can have soft and hard material fabricated. For you, what do you think also other key challenges are still in the field? Yeah, we need to consider this may be challenging or we need really uh, to ask ourselves hardly. We have to push more in this point. Yeah. Well, I think, you know, grand challenges in the field, especially from a fabrication point of view, I think there are still many. Well, don't get me wrong. I think, you know, one of the things that is um, exciting the community, especially people outside of robotics that are entering the community, is the fact that um, the, there is a low barrier of entry access at the beginning, especially, you know, um, for, I'm thinking, for example, of, you know, soft pneumatic actuators at sort of like a centimeter scale. They've been around for almost, I guess, more than a decade, actually. And people can build them really easily. I have had students that, you know, um, built them at home out of uh, out of you know a 3d printed mold that they were able to manufacture or even just like out of scrap materials that they had available in their homes and they were you know super excited and so that's great i think about our our community but um from a fabrication point of view i think there is still there are still many challenges that we are facing when we scale down these mechanisms and exactly, you know, again, for, for minimal invasive surgical applications, for example. So I think the community right now is um, doing really well at um, building at a sort of like a larger scale. So fabrication technologies for soft robo robots are now being more uh, standardized and, if you will, you know, becoming more um, reliable, repeatable, accessible, easily accessible for the large community. And I think that's very important. Like in the future, if you want to like um, build soft robots on uh, a consistent, reliable basis, we are approaching that very easily. In fact, we have, you know, spin-offs, companies that are commercializing these platforms. And so that's good. But from, if you're looking at, again, more of a miniaturized micro scale, millimeter scale, we still have obviously challenges. Um, standardizing those manufacturing techniques is going to be important uh, in the next maybe five to 10 years for the community. It's going to be more difficult, I would say. Um, the, the, the smaller the scale, the, the, the more difficult things get in my experience, obviously. Um, and um, 
integrating, you know, again, those sensors, those actuators, and, and, and maybe that distributed level of control that we would want in those soft micro robots is going to take, um, obviously, some more research. And, and that's where, you know, the, challenge are, are, the challenges are going to be, but also the excitement, I think. Mm-hmm. I think it's a good point, and I'm curious to ask you maybe related to how to pick the problems you work on. You're really motivated about what you do because it has a, a potential to help people's life. But do you think generally in the field when we pick the problem, especially for a student, what is the criteria to choose the right problem to work on and make sure it's beneficial? So how do you see this approach? Do you think is necessary to consider what kind of problem we pick and what kind of solution we propose for, for the problem we choose? So yeah, so we spoke a lot uh, until now about applicability and you know applied research uh, in soft surgical robotics, for example. I think the way that you choose a problem has to deal with this aspect, but also the fundamental you know questions that you want to ask. And so you know having that level of curiosity towards what are the possible applications of the research that I do is good, but also, yes, you have to consider what are the bigger questions, what are the fundamental questions, scientific questions or scientific challenges that the soft robotics community and the robotics community in general is facing. And and to me, that's how you choose a problem, choose an interesting uh, problem to research on. In my opinion, you know, Again, I'm biased because I, I think, you know, that surgical clinical applications are really exciting. Um, but at the same time, to me, it is very exciting to think about what are the challenges in, in the robotics community. And, for example, I'm thinking about how do I, you know, approach problems of navigating into complex unstructured environments. You have that level, uh, you, you have that. Um, question if you are working in clinical, medical applications, and if you're working in different fields, like, for example, say, uh, environmental exploration or search and rescue or any other type of uh, robot for exploration in general. So, you know, I think because robotics is an applied field, it's really easy to find a specific application in mind. But the bigger scientific questions in terms of like, for example, how do I achieve, again, navigation? How do I ha- achieve sensing and actuation? How do I embed sensing and actuation into the body of my robot? These sort of like bigger questions um, are not really part of a specific application, but they are really just scientific questions in the robotics and soft robotic community. So I think you, at the end of the day, you have to combine these um, aspects when you sort of like pick a research project to work on. You have to think about what is interesting, what is promising for the scientific community. Uh, why do? Why would I want to solve this problem? Why would I want to work on, on this? Why would I want to invest my time on this? And at the same time, who cares? Who, who, what, what's this going to be useful for? Mm-hmm. I agree with you. Since we close the end, uh, I mean, we have a few questions for you. What would be other features do you think you would yeah, aspire to have in the design for surgical robotics? Um, well, features that are missing for soft surgical robots. I think, you know, the field is still pretty much um, in its early phases that I think 
there isn't necessarily one specific feature that is really well established and, and we have to move on, um, if you know what I mean. Uh, so I think, you know, all the all of these aspects that we have covered so far when we were discussing the design um, of soft surgical robots are still you know under development there there have been groups that have been working a lot on actuation a lot of on sensing a lot of for example stiffening on of these soft robots and combining different materials to achieve that but there is really um, this is really much of a growing and developing research field that I don't think there is a specific feature um, that is still completely, um, that, that still requires, you know, complete um, research from, from, from scratch. Mm -hmm. I have two questions for you. Maybe the first one, since you mentioned academia sometimes is so challenging and not everything is working according to plan. So for you, how do you feel that make sure you are satisfied with what you do? And if you have a doubt, how you overcome the doubt of research, for example, or the solution, and how we make sure we're satisfied with what we do already? Oh, well, I think, well, there, there is a little bit of, um, combining a little bit of, um, you know, still being curious about what you're doing, still being um, self-motivated about what you're doing, I think. Um, and um, and resilient, obviously, about you know the thing, the things that you're working on. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if you have a final question. You have received advice was a life changing advice, maybe it's a career life life changing, -changing advice. advice. Um, well, I think maybe one advice that I got in the past that was really. Um, important to me, especially as a young member of the community, you know, maybe when I was a PhD student, was to uh, be mindful um, how you spend your time and uh, the things that you focus on and, and what you want to work on. Uh, obviously, you have to... Uh, I don't, I, I don't want to say moderate your enthusiasm towards research, but at the beginning, I think, uh, as a young student, you, you tend to want to work on a lot of different things, right? And uh, and that's really great. I think having that level of enthusiasm and having that level of um, curiosity towards the field is, is really great. But at the same time, you know, you have to uh, publish, you have to make a name for yourself. And so you have to focus on important aspects of your work. And so you have to have that level of breadth and depth. Uh, it's, it's really important. And then, uh, yeah, I think the other thing is, um, you know, it's important to have great mentors and, um, and, and people that will guide you uh, throughout your career. But at the end of the day, it's also important to have a level of introspection and, 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 and listen to ourselves a little bit as well, because, you know, your body, your mind will tell you what is right for you too. Excellent. I don't know if you have any final words you'd like to say for robotics community. Final words? Um, sure. Uh, well, I think we covered a lot of sort of like more scientific and technical aspects. So maybe I want to focus my final words more sort of like uh, on a personal empathetic message. I think, you know, I wish I had 
very comforting words, I, I guess, during this time, during the pandemic. Um, but I'm thinking, you know, especially about uh, young researchers, young, um, you know, young PhD students and young postdocs that are yet again going into the lab uh, this semester. Now we are in January, so in, in, in this uh, spring semester, um, during a pandemic. And so I just want to, you know, acknowledge the fact that this is a very challenging time for them. Um, we should be aware of the fact that, um, especially for people like, like we mentioned during uh, our, uh, our discussion, you know, people working on hardware, hands-on types of um, experiments and in, in, the, in soft robotics, it's, it's definitely challenging, right? Um, I, I can definitely see that level of pressure that we typically have in, our, in, in the scientific community to publish and to, you know, generate important cool research increasing because sometimes you know you don't you cannot access the lab or or just um there are restrictions in terms of uh you know social distancing and things like that that we are that we have during this specific period in time and i i know it i know it's difficult for especially young researchers um and you know just acknowledging that is important and um reminding these young talented people that um, at the end of the day things are going to improve and you're in a field in a community that is really vibrant and exciting to be working on and so i think we are you know very lucky to to be part of this um and yeah thanks thanks so much for bearing this point i think it's very important and that's kind of you to mention that thanks so much Alain. i really appreciate your time and sachar have you thank you thank, thank you. you yeah thank you for inviting me my pleasure 